So have you ever been shocked? I was this summer. My family, myself, we went out to Austin, Texas, had a great time there, had to do a wedding out there. That was the reason why uh, we headed that direction. The wedding was on a Saturday night. We flew out on Sunday. We had to get back to Austin to fly out. So I looked for a hotel in Austin that we could just stay at and then get on our flight home. I'm looking online, and the Hilton Garden came up as a really good price. Whenever something is a really good price, you know there's a reason why it's a really good price. So it looks beautiful. The pictures are amazing. has like this river canal like running through it. Awesome, awesome hotel. Well, when we drove there, one side of it is awesome. The other side of it is like, what? Like it's the, one of the biggest homeless camps I've ever seen. Like this massive like overpass complex, and there's tents everywhere. And the tents all have a parking spot in front of them. So literally people come park their car in front of their tent and get out. Like, wow, that's interesting. So there's this whole thing on one side. It's heaven on one side and hell on the other side almost. And we're right at the border. So we check in and they asked if I wanted to have my car parked. Like, you know, do you want valet parking? I'm like, no, I'll just go park it outside. They're like, if you want your car tomorrow morning, you'll do valet parking. I said, really? Oh, yeah. So I'm like, okay, I'll pay for valet parking. So they park the car. Next morning, we get up, and we go. We're looking for somewhere to eat. And we kind of got online, and just a block or so away is a Whole Food. So we walk over to Whole Foods. We go in. We get our food. And out in front of Whole Food on this side road is, uh, like, concrete benches and some just cool places to kind of sit and enjoy Austin. So we're sitting there, and we're starting to eat our food. When all of a sudden, we hear this bang, bang, bang. And I'm like, what was that? Because I'm already a little bit on high alert as a dad. Like, what was that noise? At that same time, from the noise, around the corner comes these two ladies running. And they're like in heels. They just start running. They ran all the way along the street on the other side from us. Like, Myron is just mid-sandwich. He's like... And they just did not stop running. They ran. And then they disappeared around the corner. And I'm thinking, should I be running right now? Like, what's going on? A minute later, in pulls two cop squad cars. Just, they're like 10 feet in front of us. And I'm like, cops are here. What is going on? This cop jumps out. He kind of looks at me, looks at us. He's in full body armor, just the whole thing. Then, then he's doing something right, like on cue, all of a sudden. Bang, bang, bang. He looks at me and he says, gunshots? I'm like, I don't know. You're the pro. Are you kidding me? He's like, hmm, yeah, I don't know. And then again, bang, bang, bang. He's like, hmm, well, you know, normally gunshots are a little bit sharper sounding than that. I'm pretty sure those are fireworks. I'm like, pretty sure. I want for sure that those are fireworks, right? Just shocking, right? So we packed up and went somewhere else. This probably isn't the place for my family, right? Great mission field, maybe not a great place for Myron. Shocking morning. The disciples are in for the shock of their life. So if you have your Bible, open up to Mark chapter 9, as we get the disciples' shocking discovery about Jesus. Verse 1 sets this up. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, 
There are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves and he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And they appeared, and there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them. And a voice came out of the cloud, this is my beloved son, listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them, but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the son of man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. And they asked him, why did the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written of the son of man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt. But I tell you that Elijah has come and they did to him whatever they pleased as it is written of him. A couple things to notice on this story. First, Jesus begins by saying, hey, some of you here, you won't die before you see the kingdom, before you see power, before you see this. And then right after that, transfiguration. They saw it. There's sometimes an idea in us that the kingdom of God is in some faraway time, some faraway place, and we're waiting for it to come. Well, they saw it before they died. The kingdom is not in the sweet by and by. The kingdom came with the king 2,000 years ago and has been growing since then. And it will be finished when the king returns. That right now, the kingdom is in us and it's growing and we are participating in it right now. We don't have to wait for some event to happen. It already did happen. The kingdom is here and there's power right now available to those in the kingdom. And then you have this event where a person goes up onto a mountain and he glows. Does that ring a bell in anyone's mind of an event like that in the Old Testament? Moses, exactly. Exodus 34. So Moses goes up onto a mountain, and when he came back down, he actually radiated, he glowed, he had a shine to him, the Mo glow, right? Well, Matt, what in the world was that? Maybe it's like this. When I put Myron to bed sometimes, we'll turn off his light, and above him, he has put all these glow-in-the-dark stars kind of on his ceiling, right? So he's made himself a little mini galaxy, a Milky Way. And it is cosmically correct. 
It's actually what you would see at midnight on the summer solstice on Greenwich Mean Time. I'm totally kidding. He just randomly put him up there. So it's all kind of up there. And then if you turn off the light with him and sit with him for a second, what happens to those? they slowly get less and less and less and less. And then you gotta turn the light back on for them to recharge. Because they don't have light in themselves, they just absorb it and reflect it. That's what Moses was. He didn't have a light in himself, but he got so close to God's glory that some of God's glory like penetrated him as an image bearer and then just charged him up. So when he comes down the mountain, he's still radiating out God's kavod, his glory, his light. So Moses appears, with another guy named Elijah. Here's what I love. The disciples instantly recognize Moses and Elijah. They had no pictures of them. There was no paintings of them. Right? This is thousands of years ago. But instantly, there's no introduction. Hey, Jesus doesn't say, hey, boys, I want you to meet Moses and Elijah. They instantly recognize them. Why do I like that? Because I believe in the kingdom, when it's come in its fullness, and you and I are designed the way we're supposed to be, we won't forget anyone's name. We will recognize everybody. Happy day that will be, right? Ever forgotten someone's name you should really know? I forget my kids' names. Like, you, come here, right? It's really hard for me because people I should know be like, hey, I can't remember the name. I'm like, hey, bro. Hey, man. Hey, guy. Gals are harder. Hey, sister. <laughs> hey, brah. That doesn't work at all. And then you have to pray for someone. That's even harder. Like, God, please bless my sister. Bless my brother. It's hard. I don't like that. Good news. One day that'll all be gone. One day you and I will know each other as we are known, 1 Corinthians 13 says. Brilliant day that will be. But I think there's a theology to this. Okay. These two guys are unique in the Old Testament. Both of them almost saw God. So Moses says, hey, God, I want to see you. And God says, you can't handle it. But here's what I'll do. I'll put you in a cleft of a rock, and my glory will pass by you, and you can see my afterglow. You and I, we cast a shadow. God casts a glow. So Moses couldn't quite see God, but what he saw was his glow, his afterglow. Didn't see God directly, but saw something of God. Elijah is in a cave and God comes to him and Elijah is expecting to see God because start, stuff starts happening. First, there was this massive storm, so powerful it breaks rocks. And Elijah's like, this has got to be God. What does it say? But God was not in the storm. Then there's this earthquake. The whole earth just moves. And Elijah's like, this must be God. But it says, but God was not in the earthquake. And then fire came from heaven. But it said God was not in the fire. He almost saw God, but didn't see him. Both Moses and Elijah almost, almost, but they didn't. But now in Mark chapter nine, guess what? They see him face to face. This is telling us something. Because Jesus was asked by his disciples, by Philip, hey, show us the Father. And what does Jesus say? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Hebrews 1 says, Jesus is the express image of the Father. It's telling us something here. They almost saw God. Now they do see God. Jesus is God. They see him in person. 
And you've got Peter. Oh, I love Peter. And this happens. What does Peter say? Man, it's really good that I'm here. Like what an awkward thing to say, right? And you can see Mark is like trying to like excuse him because Mark says, yeah, he said that because he didn't know what to say. Here's a New Year's resolution for all of us. If you don't know what to say, just don't. Better to be thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt, right? Sometimes you just zip it. Be slow to speak. That's a good word for me, right? So Peter here just opens his mouth, but he gets a bad rap and I think it's unfair because I think Peter was using all the theology that he had because he knew something about meeting with God. In the Old Testament, there's this place called the Tent of Meeting. It's where you would go and have fellowship with God. We call it the tabernacle, but it's also known as the tent of meeting, a place where you met with God. So Peter's going, hey, let, let's meet together. Let's stay here. Let's have fellowship. Let, let's keep going. This is awesome. I don't want this to end. Let's build some tents so we can keep having a tent of meeting on top of here. God has to interrupt him. You're incorrect. Don't put Jesus on the same level as Moses and Elijah. But he was using his best theology. I love that. Because here's something I know. After I'd pastored Edgewater for about eight years, what I learned in that eight years was this. I don't know very much. So I went back to school. I went to seminary. After seminary for four years, guess what seminary told me? I still don't know very much. But I'm going to use the theology I do have to the best of my ability, praying this prayer. God, interrupt me. Change me. If I am wrong somewhere, Please interrupt me. Please change me. I want to have the best theology I can, but I'm going to use what I got because that's all I got. And I think God is powerful enough and good enough to interrupt all of us and to straighten us out. And I love how this little story ends. The last little phrase is this. They no longer saw anyone with them, but Jesus only. Jesus only. I don't have any tattoos because I'm not a tattoo guy. I'm not cool enough to be a tattoo guy. Maybe it's not my generation. I don't know. But I've always thought if I did get a tattoo, I'd either get Leviticus 19.18. You know what that is? It's the law that says don't get tattoos. I thought that'd be ironic, wouldn't it? That'd be a conversation started with some people. What is your, that's the law that says don't get tattoos. What? That'd be crazy, so... That would be fun. Um, maybe. It might get me killed. Or I would get this in Greek, Jesus only. And people would be like, what is your tattoo? Uh, it's Jesus only. Oh, look at the time. I got to go. Be one of those tattoos. Conversation stopper. But this is huge to me. It's Jesus only. It's not Moses, as great as he was. It's not the law. It's not Elijah. Prophetic power. It's not that. It's Jesus And if you've been at Edgewater for any time, you know this. Jesus is the deep end of scripture. Everything else is the kiddie pool. And I'm going to repeat that over and over and over because we forget it. And any theology that is not causing me to go deeper with Jesus is not theology that is biblical to me. It's real simple. Jesus only. So this happens and then they start to hike down the mountain. It's like almost decompression. Jesus starts to kind of help them process what they had just been shocked by. Like, what in the world? And he says this to them. 
He says, don't tell anybody. How hard would that be? Don't tell anyone. You just saw the most amazing thing. You just saw Moses and Elijah, the two greatest heroes of the Old Testament. Whoa! Hey, don't tell anyone. That'd be like getting engaged and not being able to tell anybody. That'd be like hitting a hole in one and not being able to tell anyone. That'd be like being single and going on a date with a movie star and not being able to tell anybody. That's hard, as hard as it gets. So they're like, ugh, processing this. And then it says, they were wondering, verses 10 and 11, about this death and this resurrection from the dead. Jesus is gonna die? We just saw him glowing up there. And they're wondering about the resurrection from the dead. And then they ask Jesus a question. And what question do they ask him? What's this resurrection from the dead thing? No. What do they ask him? Some crazy question about Elijah. Aren't we just like that? Sometimes we don't want to ask questions because we think they're stupid. You ever feel that way? Every Sunday, Matt, thank you. Yes. <laughs> So they don't ask the question they really want to ask. Instead, they kind of dig up this esoteric thing about Elijah. Like, wait a second, we just saw this crazy thing with you and now we know a lot about you that, wow, is blowing our mind. But wasn't Elijah supposed to come first? Isn't what, that what the Bible says? And I'll give you the short answer of it. You can just dive in if you want to. Jesus' answer is real simple. Yeah, that's true. And he did come. John the Baptist came in an Elijah-like spirit as a pre-runner pre for me, and they killed him, just like they're going to kill me. Just an amazing story. So if you've been with us through Mark, here's what you know Mark does. Very different from like Matthew or John. Mark does this. He doesn't do long teachings like the Sermon on the Mount or the Olivet Discourse like Matthew, where it's just, hey, teaching. It's short stories, but Mark is doing this with his stories. They have inside of them embedded theology that you and I can tease out. So they're not just, hey, that's a great story. It's inside the story is all the theology that would be in the teaching of Jesus. He just does it in story form. That's why I love Mark so much. So I'm gonna give you four embedded things that you and I are supposed to get out of this story that I think are really, really important for us theologically. Number one is this, he's the source. Jesus didn't go up on the mountain like Moses and get recharged like a glow-in-the-dark star. He's not reflecting the glory. The glory literally shone out through his clothing. That's what Mark says. It's coming out through his clothing so that his clothes shine. It's coming from inside of him because he is the source of that light. He's the light of the world. That when Moses went up on the mountain... And he got charged up. He got charged up by God the Son, whom we call Jesus of Nazareth today. That's what's being said right here. That Jesus' divinity in that moment just explodes out of him. It can't, his humanity can no longer veil his divinity. It's an incredible moment because he's the source. Number two, it tells us something about Jesus' humanity. So I had a theology professor that began a lecture like this. He said, was Jesus more like Superman or more like the Incredible Hulk? 
And he's asking the question that when Jesus was on earth and he did the amazing things he did, the miracles, the power, the calming of the ocean, the, when Jesus did all that he did, did he do it like Superman or like the Incredible Hulk? Because Superman is always Superman, right? He's from outer space and he's got great powers. And even though he disguises himself like Clark Kent, puts the glasses on and the tie, underneath there, he's still Superman. He's still got the red S. He can still run faster than a locomotive. He's still bulletproof. He still has x-ray vision. He still has all those powers. He's just in disguise. And for most of my Christianity, that's where I thought about Jesus. And so when I would read about Jesus doing a miracle or Jesus's power or how he lived his life, I'd be like, yeah, he's a man, but he's God. How hard could it be? Because that was my theology. He's Superman, he's Clark Kent, if you would. That's the closest analogy. But I don't think that anymore. Because what you read about Jesus is he gets tired. He gets hungry. The Bible says in Matthew 26, he got so depressed he wanted to die. He was suicidal. That's not Superman-like. It's closer to Bruce Banner. Who, who, when he's Bruce Banner, he's just normal, right? He's got no powers, he's got nothing. And then every once in a while, out erupts like a transfiguration, the Hulk. Like that's closer. And here's what that means. It means this, that Jesus's life is not something that we stand back and like, whoa, I could never. Jesus's life is our example. That actually, it's not the excuse, well, I could never do that. You know, Jesus is God, so I could never do that. No, Jesus is the goal that you and I are supposed to read the story of Jesus and we're supposed to see he lived this as a spirit-empowered human. And it's the example of you and me that we can actually do what he did. It's why Peter, who's up on this mountain, writes in 1 Peter 2.21, he's our example. It's not the excuse that he's God and I couldn't do it, it's no way. He's the goal. And spirit, fill me and empower me that I can live a life that more and more reflects Jesus because he is my goal. That's what it is. And it changed the way that I read the gospels. It changes the way that I read about Jesus. I wanna be like that more and more and more and more. It's why Jesus says to his disciples, hey, you've seen these great things that I've done. You guys are gonna go out and you're gonna do greater things than that. Because the same spirit that's in me and has empowered me is going to be inside of you. Brilliant. He's our goal. He's our example. Then thirdly, this story tells us about our destiny. So I believe, and there's other people that agree, that if you go back to the Garden of Eden before sin, that Adam and Eve glowed like light bulbs, that they did not need clothes. So if you have a light bulb turned off, you can see the filament, right? It's little coils and it's turns and it's curves. But the moment you turn that light bulb on, the moment it's powered, can you see that filament anymore? It disappears. So before the fall, before sin, Adam and Eve, they glowed like light bulbs. You couldn't even see, if you would, their nakedness. But the moment they sin, the power is cut. And all of a sudden they see each other. Huh. We're naked. Oh no. That's what's happened to all of us. We all know we should be 
lighter. We should be brighter. We should be stronger. We should be more courageous. We should speak more. We should be whatever it is, right? We all know that, but all of us know, yeah, we're low wattage. But there's still something in us. There's still a glow, right? Have you ever seen a bride on her wedding day when she's dressed up and ready to walk down the aisle? What is she in that moment? She's glowing. Literally, science has found that to be true, that in those moments, there's more red blood cells at our skin level that's putting off infrared light. Literally, we are glowing in that moment. So we still have that, but even the best of us, man, all of us are dim. All of us are low wattage. But here's the good news. Here's the good news. One day, one day we'll be high wattage again. So 1 John 3, 2 says this. Beloved, we are God's children now. Right now we're God's kids. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Do you know what Jesus looks like now? There's an account by John in Revelation chapter one. And in verse 16, it says this, that his raiment shines brighter than the sun. No longer veiled, no longer hidden, no more of that. He shines like the sun. So Daniel somehow prophetically got wind of this. In Daniel 12, three, it says this, believers in Jesus, we will shine like the stars in the heavens. One day we'll be full wattage again. One day, instead of being, man, I'm so dim. Man, I can't do this right. Man, I'm a failure. One day, we'll be plugged into the source again. One day, we'll be full wattage. Happy day that will be. That's our destiny. So good. And then fourthly and lastly, this story gives us the ultimate comparison. So if you know your Bible, Jesus, Moses, and Elijah They all went up a mountain. But how they came down was very different. Moses went up the mountain, got the Ten Commandments from God, written by the finger of God himself. He's carrying those tablets down, comes down, and what's happening down in the valley? The golden calf. And Moses sees it and gets angry and takes those two tablets and breaks them. Symbolically, you've broken the commands even before they came down the mountain. And that day, 3,000 people died because the law slays us. Elijah goes up a mountain with the 450 prophets of Baal and they have this battle. Call down fire from heaven. The prophets of Baal cannot do it. Elijah prays a very simple prayer and fire comes down from heaven and burns the sacrifice and the rocks and the stones and the water. Everything's gone. Miracle, fire from heaven. And Elijah goes down that mountain and the 450 disobedient prophets of Baal died that day. Because the law won't get you there. And fire from heaven, justice on evil, if that's gonna come out, if there's justice, if you get what you deserve, who stands? No one. Jesus walks down this mountain to walk up a second mountain. That second mountain is called Calvary. And he walks up that mountain not to to 
bring the law down on us, not to bring the fire of God's justice down on us to condemn us. He walks up that second mountain to die for us, to save us, to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from our stupidity and to change our hearts into new kinds of hearts. That's what Jesus does, right? Very, very different. So when you believe in Jesus, you never go back to Moses. That's why I joke about getting Leviticus 19.18 on me. I'm not going back to that, right? Because Jesus fulfilled the law in my place. I'm not under the law anymore. I'm not looking for fire from heaven on people that are bad and evil. No way, because that same fire would consume me. I never go back to those things. I stick with the grace of Jesus Christ because that's the only soil, the righteousness that God wants can ever grow. And here in our story, we get the example. We get the example of Moses. Did you know this about Moses? He never made it into the promised land. So here's the reason why. It's Numbers chapter 20. Moses had gotten mad at the people because they were thirsty. So God had said, hey, speak to the rock and water will come out. He didn't speak to the rock. He took his staff because he was mad and hit the rock twice and said, must I fetch water for you rebels? And God still made water come out. But then he said, Moses, come here. And this is what God said to Moses. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, Therefore, you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. You can't go in. Because the law can never get you what you want. Do you know that? It never gets you into the promises of God. It can't. It's unable to. Because the law never changes your heart. We're at New Year's resolution time, right? Anybody make New Year's resolutions? Some people write out their own little mini Torah, like Moses, of things to do. And I always think, how's that working for you, bro? Because gyms will be packed in January, but empty by February. Cathedral Hill's behind my house. Man, all of a sudden, January 2nd, there's biking and hiking and jogging. I hear the breaks of bikes, and I hear the conversations of hikers and walkers. And then two weeks later, it's all mine again. Because the law never changes your heart. It can't. It's unable to. So Moses, bro, you can't come in because the law can't do it for you. But now here in Mark chapter nine, a thousand plus years later, where's Moses? He's in the promised land. He made it in. Why did he make it in? One reason. Because of who he is with. Who's he with? Jesus. He got in because he's with Jesus. That's it. To you and I, the way that we get into the promises of God is for one reason. Not because of the law, not because of our passion and fire in us. We get in and get the promises of God for one reason. Jesus. It's like this. So many years ago, uh, we had this day where there was three weddings where my wife and I needed to go to. And my wife at that time was pregnant with Elijah. Elijah was born September 3rd. This was like the last week in August. So she is like pregnant, pregnant, 15 months pregnant, that kind of time. 
So we've got three weddings to go to. And so wedding number one, we go there. It's August. It's hot. Um, we're late because it took her like 10 minutes to walk 10 feet. You just don't walk fast. You don't get up fast. You don't walk fast when you're pregnant, right? So we're just taking our time. We get in there. It's packed. There's not a seat in the place. So we're kind of walking down the center of the island looking, oh no, outside, smoking hot. This guy sees us and says to my wife, hey, do you want a chair? She said, yes, please. So he gets up, gives her her seat. And I'm like, okay, where am I going to go? He looks at me and says, do you want a chair too? I said, I would love a chair. Went off somewhere, I don't know how, found another chair, brought it out to me, and I got a chair. So I'm sitting down, and then it's hot, so Charity, she's just, ah, and someone next to her goes, do you want some iced tea? She said, I would love some iced tea. And he's about to walk off, he looks at me, and goes, do you want some iced tea too? I said, I would love some iced tea, thank you. Goes off somewhere, I don't know where, comes back to great big glasses of iced tea. I'm like, yeah, so we go to the, another wedding, get to our third wedding, it's evening, we're there just for the reception. We get there late, um, it's a massive wedding. And at this time, Charity is hungry. And with five children, here's what I've learned. If you are new and your wife has not had kids yet, when a pregnant woman is hungry, guess what you do? You feed her, it does not matter. You keep fries under your hat, you pack a burger inside your wallet, you, just, you have food always for her. So she's getting hungry, I'm like, uh-oh. So we go walking in, see this massive line to the tables of people waiting to get served. I thought, oh great, this could go bad. So as we're walking, a chef walks by, he's got the little hat on, a little apron. He looks at my wife and says, you look hungry. I'm like, really? She looks full to me, man. Just do you want some food? She goes, I would love some food. I'll go get some. He's walking away. He turns around. You want something too? I said, oh yeah, I'll have the halibut, the tri-tip, and a garden salad, <laughs> right? So we sit down while everyone's waiting to get served, and we're just eating. Just, oh yeah. We finish our food. The owner of the, t of the house comes by. He's like, you guys need some dessert, don't you? I said, oh yes, we do. <laughs> now, why did I get blessed in that way? Because of who I was with. Listen to me on this New Year's Eve week. You and I, you and I get blessed. You and I get the promises of God for one reason, because of who we are with. Listen to Colossians chapter three, verse three. It says this, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Where's your life right now? It's hidden with Christ. So here's what this means. I'm gonna read for you Hebrews, a couple of verses in Hebrews. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our studliness, Torah keeping, rules, with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help 
in the time of need. What gives you the confidence to march into God's throne room and to ask for his blessings and his promises? Is it because of your Torah? Hey, I did this this week. I kept these rules. I, I, I followed all this stuff. God, you owe me? Is it Elijah like? Well, I've got passion and, and I've and I got some fire in me. So God, you should do this for me. Is that why? No. When I go to God and I pray, I pray for one reason. Not God, you owe me. Or God, look how passionate I am. I pray for one reason. Because Jesus, because I'm with him, because of what he's done for me, I need help in my weakness. I need grace right now because of Jesus. That's how you and I are to pray. He is our mediator. He's the one that we pray through. This is what this is saying. We don't go through Moses. We don't use the Torah. We say because of Jesus. 1 Corinthians 1.20 says, all of the promises of God are yes and amen in Jesus. So in 2022, when you're weak, in 2022, when you need help, in 2022, when you need mercy and grace, guess what? God, help me. Help me because of Jesus. Help me because I'm in him. Help me because of him. That's the way you get your prayers answered. It's why we end our prayers in Jesus' name. Not in Matt's name. Not in the Torah's name. Not in Moses' name. In Jesus' name, period. I'm with him. Why should you get blessed this year? Because you're with him. And that's the only reason. It's why when we take communion and we take the elements, it's not, hey, I better make sure I'm something. It's no way. We do this in remembrance of Jesus, what he's done for us, that he's made a way, that because of his life, death, resurrection, and ascension, you and I now have all the promises of God, and they are yes and amen, period. That's confidence that can never, ever be taken from you. That's how we pray. So Jesus, this day, Behold your broken body. I pray against my tendency to go back to Moses, to the law. My tendency to go back to emotions and passion like Elijah. May I hear from the cloud of heaven, this is my beloved son. Hear him. That I'm blessed because of Jesus only. Let's eat together. We take the cup. Though our sins are like scarlet, They'll be white as snow. The snow that covers all the garbage, the snow that makes everything beautiful and bright. That's what you do for us. 
May every heart in here has believed on Jesus. I pray that every single one of us would know we're white as snow. Let's drink together. Amen. So here's what we're going to do. So we have a very special person that really wants to get baptized today. So we're going to join in and we're going to watch her get baptized out there in that. Right? So Roxanne, come on up. And we are going to rejoice with the heavenly host as you choose to be baptized. We'll finish with a song. If you need prayer, people up here that are going to be prayed for. You know, we'll pray for you. If you want to join and get baptized as well, you can do that. You can get up if you want and walk over there, whatever you feel like doing. front of the heavens with our Lord Jesus, with this family of believers here that are rooting you on and participating in your baptism today. This is really what it was like at the river, right? Come and be baptized, repent and be baptized and make it known that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. Died on the cross, rose on the third day for the forgiveness of Roxanne's sins, for my sins, for your sins. So today Roxanne is making it known. The enemy has no dominion over her. She's a child of the King. So Roxanne, today, are you making it known that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? I love Jesus with all my heart, yes. <laughs> Would you guys join us as we, as we pray for Roxanne? Jesus, thank you so much for this day. Nowhere else in the world is it probably snowing outside and people getting baptized. But she could not be denied to make it known that Lord, she is a new creation. She's accepted your death, burial, and resurrection on her behalf. She's a new creation, Lord. She's a, a daughter of the King. So, Lord, we just thank you for the prayers and the foundation of those that have built, uh, built for her to jump off of, off of, Lord, and serve you. And, Lord, would you just put up a hedge of protection about Roxanne's relationships? Lord, keep her close. Lord, just protect her and encourage her. And we're just so thankful that we get to be a part of this day that you and her uh, are writing in her story. So we just thank you, and it's your name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen.